0: But there's an average time to bankruptcy after winning the lottery. People are constantly shocked by this when, and when I say that there is a large, it's not quite a majority, but a large minority of people that win the lottery declare bankruptcy about three and a half years later. That statistic, by the way, is fantastic because you can lay it over a retiring sports star And get the same numbers. A large minority of them declare bankruptcy about three and a half years later, after the crazy amount of money stops. Once more, under the breach, dear friends.
1: Else fill the wall up with our English dead.
0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting second hour of the Personal Wealth Coach where we will say such exciting things as when the Federal Reserve meets and reads its minutes, uh, the Federal Open Market Committee makes an annual report pursuing to the Freedom of Information Act and the FOMC, FOIA Service Center provides information about this. Let
1: me say something we're actually going to say.
0: Oh, well, that's, that's so exciting, though. I'm trying, no, to, is, I'm trying to lead up to all the exciting stuff we're going to say.
1: But, but one of the things we're going to say is, listen to this carefully, the ISM manufacturing PMI fell to 47.4.
0: Oh, I'm, I'm riveted. I'm on the edge of my seat. By riveted, I mean somebody has put hot steel on my body to connect two right, right. pieces of metal. So we're hoping to make the data a little more exciting than its labels. Hopefully. Oh, I think that's exciting. It is yeah, pretty okay. exciting. It's kind of like saying uh, my BPM is 147 and I am lying down and resting. Well, that a BPM of 147? That doesn't sound good, actually, or, and that should that be exciting.
1: Systolic? Or is it your <laughs> histo- systolic?
0: Yeah. So uh, when we're looking at this data, we see what it represents. It's maybe we've been in the matrix too long. We're beginning to read the code and see the actualities of it. And somebody quotes a number to us and we act all surprised and excited. It's because it represents reality. The stuff that's around us is being measured. And when we're talking about the ISM, um, whatever the management or production or the manufacturing people are seeing, and it's all these dry numbers that are being laid out, it's kind of like saying, um, your family increased by two over the last 18 months. That doesn't sound very exciting, except that somebody's been pregnant for 18 months. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. two kids um uh, pregnant for 18 months that's not um unexciting by any stretch so it okay. really really is something that hopefully we'll be able to bring that did you know that uh in the united states a, a woman gives birth to one child about every 10 seconds somebody needs to stop that woman no just, just stop her, because that's no. not how you do it. Wait, no, have her keep doing it, and have them more quickly, because
1: <laughs> one of the key or give her a, give her threats. a pay raise
0: at least, because that's a lot of labor. The labor department needs to be involved here.
1: Yeah, go ahead. One of the major long-term threats to the United States, and it is a probably the biggest single threat to the economy and well-being of the United States of America, is the fact that native-born people. Without regard to what culture or race or whatever, we're not having enough babies to replace the population, to replace the people who are dying, and as a result, our population is getting older and it's shrinking, and that is not good. And it will, it, it's going to, it's already taking down places in Europe, and is going to have, is already having a huge impact in China. We've might usually managed to dodge the way we've dodged the bullet on that, and we have done it again and again and again. is through immigration. Now, immigration is picking up nicely. We're talking about legal immigration. It's picking up nicely this year. There was an anti-immigration push under the Trump administration. Whether you like that or don't like that, it occurred. And it's it and, just, and the just United just States side note, started-
0: let me, let me throw this in here. That immigration limitation has not been swapped out by the Biden administration. There's too many pandemic-related stuff. They are, our in, immigration has not picked up since the Trump administration ended. I
1: disagree with you on that. I just read yesterday, both Wall Street Journal and The uh, Economist say immigration has picked up in the United States. And the reason during the pandemic, and I think largely for political reasons, and you may agree with those reasons or disagree with those reasons is beside the point. The Trump administration intentionally restricted legal immigration Um, and and they did and admittedly the people who supported president trump at the time wanted him to and i think so he was doing what he was elected to do but it's it's gone back to where those temporary administrative restrictions on immigration have fallen away and as a result we are getting people coming back in the united states at a good rate If we continue on that path, we will be following the path we have followed ever since we became a nation. And one of the reasons the United States is economically stronger and more healthy than Europe or China is the fact that we have had relatively high levels of immigration and the people who've come in have suffered a lot to get here and they have a lot of motivation and they do really well in the economy. you got your hand up like you're about to tell me I'm wrong about
0: something. No, I'm just going to uh, say that we're both right. Um, when immigration dropped under the Trump administration, so I'm at the uh, census.gov. It's a good place to go for this stuff. Uh, Donald Trump came in in 2016. We had a net immigration that year of 1.2 uh, million people. Okay, cool. He started... Ratcheting that down, so his uh, lowest point pre-pandemic. We're not going to use 2020 at all. Was about 915 or 9.1. Let's say 915,000 people. We're above a million again. We're at a million for 2022, that's an estimate. We're back to very close to where he was at the lower point. Now it's a drastic increase. 2021, we were down to 376,000 people came into our country. That's it. Compared to 1.2 million in 2016, that's a lot less. We're up to 1 million now, but we're still down at the mark set by the Trump administration when they lowered immigration. It's still a lot more than it was so we're both right. We're up to where we were in Trump, but not up to where we were before Trump started limiting immigration.
1: But there was a period in there when this, when Trump first started, when he was first elected, he didn't limit immigration. But as time went by, more and more restrictions were put on it, administrative restrictions, had nothing to do with COVID, and to do with the fact Correct. that his, his, his… And we're
0: back roughly to that number now.
1: Right, right. And so I think- we've
0: increased. We've got a lot more immigration than we did in 2021. But Biden has not re- has not pulled all the blocks off that Trump put on in immigration. We're just back up to where Trump was at his lowered amount. So the articles that say we went from 376 thousand immigrants to one million immigrants in one year, um, those are correct. That's a massive increase. That's like a Almost three times the amount of people that we had in 2021 came in in 2022, but it puts us relatively even with where Trump was in 2018. So that's, that's all I'm saying is that the Biden administration has not opened up all the gates. They have released them, the pandemic restrictions, which is a different thing. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead.
1: We need that immigration. That's, that's the critical thing to understand. Um, The Social Security is going to see a crisis at some point, and it will be in the next few years. Um, There's also – there's still – there's sort of one brewing in Congress right now in that there are – there's a significant group of Congresspersons, enough of them to shut the system down, who want to cut Social Security. And they just happen to be Republicans in this case who want to reduce Social Security as a means of cutting the budget and I I can see their perspective and the point is the issue to reduce spending in the United States government spending the only place you're going to get major reductions enough to count is either social Security Medicare or
0: defense that's yep. it yeah and when we look at the budget that's a hundred percent of the tax revenue is just those three things that's what so, we're, so all the rest is borrowed if we don't the, cut in those the rest of the stuff that we're doing still has to be
1: borrowed so you got the people who were elected mostly recently and they're in in this most recent election they're universally in this case Republicans and they were elected because they promised to work hard to cut United States spending. Well the only place you're going to have a significant cut in spending is in those three areas. And they concluded they didn't want to cut defense spending. I haven't agree with them completely by the way. We need to be building because we're going into a cold war, the balloon over America is an example. Uh, China is a real threat, and we need to be prepared. Russia is a real threat. We need to be prepared. Uh, there's other threats around the world, and we need to be prepared. Uh, so, what's left is social security and Medicare. And
0: neither social us.
1: security does not have a lot of lobbyists in Washington causing money to be contributed to people's re-election campaigns. Right, Medicare does the medical community, the the medical complex that makes things and so on. They have a lot of lobbyists in there saying, "Don't you touch Medicare because that's where we get our money." But there's no major industry that is has lobbyists in Washington D.C. saying, "Don't you touch Social Security?" So we got some folks who said they and and, and there's doesn't take a lot of them in this particular case. One of the things that was demanded by the group of people who. Uh, Held up the election of speaker was that in order to raise the debt limit, which we beyond now or which we've hit, hit already, and and will become a crisis sometime this year. They demanded that Social Security benefits be cut, and that's obviously not very popular. And it's only a very small minority of Republicans who are saying that, but it's enough of a there's enough of them saying it that if they carry through on that they can block legislation to raise the debt ceiling and the United States will default sometime this summer. So it's a big deal. It's one of the things that, that it's a good idea to be aware of, and it's a good idea to communicate with your representative, whoever you are, wherever you are, that it's a really bad thing to threaten not to pay our bills and for the United States to default and to, to, to offer a choice between cutting Social Security and default. That is, I don't want to go there. Okay, that's beside the point. I want to get back to the ISM. Let's do it. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm thinking a lot of time time here. That's all right. The Institute, when I said earlier something, the ISM Manufacturing PMI fell to forty seven point four. And now that sounds like gobbledygook, and it is. The Institute for Supply Management is a is a nonprofit organization that that does this type of thing and tries to figure out what's going on in the economy. Um, and they do a survey every month of purchasing managers. Now, what's a purchasing manager? That is in a corporation. When a corporation sees they're going to need to make something or do something or sell something because they anticipate this is happening and they're the folks where the rubber meets the road who knows what's going on far better than the government does. They send to the purchasing manager and uh, let's just say a home builder says, I see a lot of homes demand coming up. They don't right now, but let's just say they did. One of the things that you got to have is you got to have wood and copper and nails and all kinds of things purchased in advance so that you can do those. So when the corporate executives tell the purchasing managers, we need to buy more stuff, the purchasing managers then respond to this survey and and their question they get is, are your, are your bosses telling you to buy more stuff or less stuff at this particular moment? And if the average is more, it looks, that that is an indication of growth coming down the road in manufacturing. Uh, if it's, but and the way this, works out is if the number that comes in is above 50, that means that the purchasing managers are accelerating their buying and that means big things are happening down the road. If it's below 50, it means they're contracting, which means they're buying less this month than they did last month and so on and anticipate things going downhill. It came in at 47.4, which is way below 50, which means that the manufacturing side of our economy, the purchasing managers are anticipating a slowdown. Okay, that's cool. I mean, they're they're slowing things down. This is the kind of thing that causes a recession when they stop buying stuff. But in the midst of that jobs report that came out from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the manufacturing industry hired last month 19,000 more people than they laid off or than, than, than quit. In other words, they, and, and in the anecdotal notes, manufacturers are saying they are hiring and they're not laying people off. And they anticipate a slowdown, but they anticipate a quick recovery with a high level of demand later this year. There is one of those fascinating things where on one side you have an indicator, the ISM PMI indicator for manufacturing that says it's contracting, which is a signal we're going to get a recession. And then... The you turn around and look at what the PMI comes out is and PMI says one thing and the labor says completely different. The HR departments are saying we're hiring people. This is what I mean that's going on in the economy right now that is so very confusing. And why we're optimistic is because those managers are hiring people and they're not laying people off. Uh, and they that means that they see. Six months or more down the road, demand picking up again dramatically. Uh, Over on the services side, there's no question, Uh, but interestingly enough, the PMI dropped just below 50, but they are still, one of the reasons they're running into problems is not because they're not people want to buy things, buy services, but they just can't get enough people to do them. So they're slowing the train down a little bit because they don't have enough employees. These are all indications to me that of two things. One, the traditional indicators of PMI. Say we're headed for a recession. The reality, when you look at what they're doing, says we're headed for a boom. And that's what I'd say. Thank you.
0: Well done. Good stuff. So let's kind of step back a second because there's another piece that's market based rather than economic based that we're watching right now. The meme stock investors that had this big revolution starting in 2020 through 2022, the the cryptocurrency investors, the meme stock investors, and the individual investor trading volume have all dropped, dropped drastically. So Vanda Research is keeping up on, it's an institution that keeps up on um, daily individual uh, investor trading volume. And in 2020, at the height of the lockdown, The uh, 10 day moving average was up at about $23 billion traded over that 10 days by individual investors. That's a lot. That's way more than pre pandemic. Pre pandemic, we're talking in the 10 area, 10 billion over that period of time. So to jump up to 23 billion, A lot of people that weren't involved in the market before got involved in the market. We are not back to pre-pandemic level. So one of the things that I was afraid of is that a bunch of amateur investors would jump in. They'd get in. They'd get excited. Everybody's making money. Things are going well. The market crashes, and they say, I'm out of the market. It's rigged. I'm out forever. We're seeing a lot of people do that but we still have more individual investors in the market than we did pre-pandemic. And that's likely to stay around for a while. That's good news. Good news is that people are involved and they're taking ownership, literally taking ownership of their own economy. Um, And the more you have individual ownership of an economy by the citizens of that economy, the better historically that entire economy does, period. There's no time in history when owning your own economy long-term was bad for you, unless you get invaded by a foreign power, <laughs> and then you just lost it all. So see Cuba for that. It's not even a foreign power. It was invaded by their own people. So that's when, when I'm looking at individual investors, I think it's a good thing to have them in the market I think they need to get experience, but the only way to get experience is to be there, and unfortunately, that takes some lumps. Before the radio program, older Baldy was telling me, younger Baldy, about the four hundred one k's not following suit with this meme withdrawal. The four hundred one k's aren't seeing massive liquidations from equities, and so I, I said, yes. And there's a couple of Nobel or a shared Nobel Prize from 2017 that will explain that a little bit. Those of you that have 401ks out there, you're going to be able to see some um, uh, some similarity in your experiences to what I'm about to describe. It's not easy to change what you own in your 401k. When you log into your 401k and you say, I want to change what I'm owning in here. I'm going to sell this and I'm going to buy that. There are a series of steps that you have to take that are not clear or easy to understand. So much so that most people give up before they're finished with whatever thing they're trying to do in their 401k. They look at it and they say, how am I supposed to change this allocation? Oh, I did it. And then you come back and you see the next time your your employer puts money in there, wait, it still went to the same place that I told it not to go to before. So you got to go back in and spend another 45 minutes or an hour trying to figure out the site and then not be sure it was correct by the time the next paycheck gets distributed. And and people give up. Well, there's a Nobel Prize given on this subject in 2017. A couple of people shared the prize, and part of and it was labeled for uh, for executive compensation uh, studies into executive compensations and the best way of treating benefits in a corporation. And a big chunk of that was based on the behavior of the people in 401ks. And this is this is hard. I know you're going to have to follow me on this it appears that the more difficult you make moving things around in your 401k, the less people do it. I know, weird, huh? So that Nobel Prize should have been given rather than for executive compensation and employee benefits uh, research to how do you obfuscate everything in the 401k so it makes it really hard to do stuff. And all of the studies that led up to this said that if people just left it alone and didn't mess with it, they'd do better than if they didn't, if they messed with it. And that's what we're seeing right now. Through that down market that we've had for 2022, a lot of people in their 401ks didn't bail out. But a lot of those same people in their at-home accounts that are much easier to trade because E-Trade and Robinhood and Ameritrade and everybody else in the at-home market try to make it as easy as possible for you to do trades. So there's this mass exodus from the market at the at-home people that also have 401ks that they're not selling out of. So this is an example of how making things harder sometimes makes things better. Um, And I know that's weird. It's very much like if we had an ongoing client that we've been seeing for 20 years and they're successful in their portfolio and they've got good discipline and they win the lottery, we would tell that person very different advice than someone who has no experience in the market and wins the lottery. The person that has a lot of experience and has been doing well and managing their, their portfolio and managing their finances and working with people and have relationships with attorneys and with advisors, and it, there's, a, there's a nice team developed there, we would generally say, yeah, probably taking the lump sum is going to be better from you, for you. Somebody else, if we told them exactly the same thing, that would be the most harmful thing. I mean, most harmful thing. You won the lottery. That's a pretty good thing. But there's an average time to bankruptcy after winning the lottery. People are constantly shocked by this when, and when I say that there is a large, it's not quite a majority, But a large minority of people that win the lottery declare bankruptcy about three and a half years later. That statistic, by the way, is fantastic because you can lay it over a retiring sports star and get the same numbers. A large minority of them declare bankruptcy about three and a half years later after the crazy amount of money stops. And that comes to a definition. What's the definition of being rich? We have one. The two bald people talking to you have a good definition. Rich means more money than you know what to do with. And if you have more money than you know what to do with right now, we can assure you at some point in the future, that number will change enough that you will have enough that you know what to do with it. It may actually go to the negative territory, and what you know to do with it is declare bankruptcy because there's no way you're going to ever pay those things back. Rich is something you can see in other people. They have more money than I know what to do with. Elon Musk has more money than I know what to do with. I could figure it out, but he has more money than I know what to do with. He has more money than he knows what to do with, by the way, which can be seen in his purchase of Twitter. It may not have been profit motivated, um, but he now owns the biggest bullhorn out there, that may not be why he bought it, but he can turn it into something good.
1: Elon Musk is doing something that I, that I refer to as the poverty trigger. I don't think he's going to pull it all the way. But when a person has too much wealth, too much money, and when I say too much, they're uncomfortable subconsciously with it, they will inevitably do something self that is destructive to their portfolio. His purchase of Twitter is probably going to cost him over forty billion dollars. He's no longer the richest man in the world. He's sagged dramatically in that area because he chose to do something fundamentally, I'm just going to say this, stupid with his money. When it comes to investing, it looks to me like he was focused in this particular case on reducing his net worth and he's been very successful so far. Um, and and he's the man is absolutely brilliant, and I certainly can't tell you how much I appreciate what he's doing. Um, but just to give you an example, he, he's, he's, he's changed history. He's done. He's doing some amazing things. The International Space Station would is being supplied by something he created, not something the government created. Um, the only way we had to get there without him was Russians, and the Russians are not exactly the most reliable people in the world right now. So I, I think he's doing something wonderful, but he's doing. His, Exactly what Jake was talking about with the winner of the lottery does. If a person gets more money than they're comfortable with, they they become, quote, filthy rich. That goes in their brain someplace, and they will fix that. And as Jake said, some people they are take only comfortable when they're carrying a lot of debt and are under stress because they are carrying a lot of debt, and you give them several million dollars, and they will go through that several million dollars very quickly and wind up with a lot of debt again because that's their comfort zone. This is where, and, and I, I'm, I'm going to toot
0: our horn just a little bit, Uh, Or or at least toot something. We're going to toot something. If
1: if you know someone who's in that situation, it's crucial they get with some wealth management firm, not a sales firm, not a brokerage firm, uh, not uh, a big corporation. Get with an organization or a a firm and and some people who know what they're doing with regard to money and who understand the psychology of this and will help them manage their wealth. Uh, because if you, if they don't, then they'll soon probably be very broken, very unhappy. Uh, it, it is not a pretty picture. Anyway, you come at it. I just agreeing with you here. Yeah. I got something else if I could touch on it, please. Yeah, please go ahead. It's kind of my soapbox, but there's a, there's a blurb in the wall street journals pro Uh, private equity, and it's in a number of other places, private equity firms reluctant to cut valuations as recession loans. We're seeing this across the board, and it is very normal. If you have a non-traded investment in your portfolio, in your investments, and what's a non-traded investment? A non-traded real estate investment trust, a limited partnership. uh, There's a host of these things. They're often peddled for tax advantages. They're they're peddled to people for... uh, lots of things, and they say it'll stabilize your portfolio. Sometimes they're called alternates, alternate investments or alts. They don't go down when the market goes down. Uh, why don't they go down? The underlying value went down, but the price you see in your portfolio doesn't go down and you not realize that it has lost value until you try to sell it. And in that case, in many cases, you can't sell it. And if you did sell it, you would see a dramatic drop. As an example, uh, that article in the Wall Street Journal noted that the current valuation on non-traded interests is averaging when you, when you actually need to sell the things. you need to sell your, your interest, your non-traded interest because you need the money and you want to unload it. They're taking typically a 13% hit on the stated value on their statement. Now, these are legitimate investments, they're legal, uh, they're alternative investments, that's cool. They what the average that, that The Wall Street Journal reported, People are seeing that if let's say you bought something for a hundred thousand dollars, or let's say you bought it for a million dollars, and uh, let's just use a hundred thousand, make it easy. You've got a hundred thousand dollars, and you put it into this alternative investment that this broker said it was a great deal, but you can't trade it. Uh, it's not on the market, it's cool, it'll be really good, and you'll make a lot of money on it. Except when you go to sell it on average, right now, you're getting back 87. $87,000 instead of $100,000. Despite the fact on your statement, it still says $100,000. Just be very careful about these non-traded investments.
0: I'm going to have you keep talking for a minute. I'm going to step out for a second.
1: Okay. Um, what else is going on out there? Lots of things going on out there. But it's important. One of the the, the issues, and I think it is, Jake may be right. It could be just administrative, I'm, but I'm really pleased. and I think maybe people are learning. We didn't see in this last downturn We didn't see people bailing out of their 401k. This is the first time we've had a major downturn in the market where individual investors who have retirement accounts, 401ks, 403Bs, and things of that nature did not sell in a bear market. Although some of them did, obviously, because we wouldn't have a bear market if people weren't selling. But by and large, people who own 401ks hung in there and they're coming back nicely now. And it's wonderful, it's working wonderfully. I see the same thing happening in the general population of investors, people who are the baby boomers and people like that, we're making some real, by some reason or other, people did not panic and bolt for the door. And that is a really, really, really good thing. Important thing about investing as opposed to speculating, um, investing converts money into capital. Capital is not money. And if you invest the absolute minimum time horizon you should be looking at is three years, and that's really too short for a reasonable investment. You're looking at, I would say, minimum of seven to 10 years, or you shouldn't be investing, you should be saving. Saving is very different. Saving is about avoiding loss. Investing is about achieving gain. If you're going to achieve a gain higher than zero after inflation and taxes, you need to invest. And when you invest, you convert money into capital, and converting it back into money at the wrong time can be really hazardous to your financial health. Just be aware that there's a crucial difference, and I'm really pleased that the typical in- investor is doing a lot better at it than they used to do. I think I think, despite the fact that the 401k restrictions probably helped or hindered or whatever, it kept people from bailing out. I also think there's that people have learned a few things. Uh, the people who are still invested in the market for the long term, for their retirement, I think have gotten smarter, and they've gotten better able to handle things, and they're going to hang in there longer, which, by the way, and we can get into this separately, but you're back, so I'll let you talk for a little bit, Yeah, I think may bite them in a few years. That very virtue that I just commended people on conceivably could result in some great injury down the road uh, based on history. You got something to say, or you want me to go?
0: I, on? I am uh, I'm ready to jump in. Yeah. So, jump,
1: jump, jump.
0: If you'd like to contact us off the air, uh, we have voicemail waiting locally. We give advice on portfolio management as well. Uh, locally, we have voicemail waiting 254 947
1: 1111.
0: Or you can head toll free to 1 800 914 7526. That's 800 914 plan. You can go to our webpage thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com where you will find our made for radio faces. If you'd like to read our newsletter or sign up for it, you can do it there. You can listen to our radio program going back. You can contact us on the contact form or email us directly at jeff at tpwc.com and jake at tpwc.com. Until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.